This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. And welcome, welcome. You are here live with Dr. Jeff Gorber, your host for the next 30 minutes on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Best of Dr. Jeff, as well as Instagram Live. Thank you all for joining. I'm waving back at you. I hope I don't miss you on the wave. Here for you, here for your pets. Just got back, as you know, from my Ski CE, as they call it, put on by the Colorado Vet Med Association. So if you have questions, anything that's burning questions, you can get a hold of me. Join me here live on Pet Life Radio. All you have to do is go to PetLifeRadio.com. Click on show, scroll to Ask the Vet with Dr. Jeff, and you've got me live, have your pet with you, or of course, on Instagram, as you know, just ask away. Um, some people ask to join, I can't do that because A, I'm not that smart when it comes to Instagram, and I know that it splits the screen, but then I can't see the other um, questions and comments coming in. So we are not gonna do that right now. Um, and of course, you can always get a hold of me the old fashioned way, 877-385-8882, once again, 877-385-8882 and ask away. So anyway, while you guys are getting the nerve to start asking me questions and um, and uh, I'm waving back at you. So just to talk about this conference, by the way, it's, it's a great conference. I love it. I, I actually, you know, it's funny. When I first heard about it, it was totally accidental. I got something on an email from CVMA, which is what? For me, it's California Veterinary Medical Association. So I click on it. I figured, oh, they got something new to tell me. And I open it up and I see it's, uh, first of all, it's a beautiful picture of a um, ski scene and it's put on by the Colorado Vet Med Association, but also in conjunction with the American Animal Hospital Association, of which I'm a member. And that's probably how I got it because I'm not a member of the Colorado Vet Med Association. So P.S., I'm looking at this and I say, wow, that sounds pretty cool. So I read it. It tells me the schedule, which is a great schedule. <laughs> Basically, you're free nine to four on the slopes. You've got your early morning, you have evening, and the rest is, uh, I mean, on the slopes. And they had a great speaker, who, a guy that I knew. It was a team, actually, that I knew. And I said, oh, you know, I'll go. It, it looks good. I had the best time ever. So anyway... Now it's, uh, I've gone for several years. They, they had to shut down for two years because of COVID, but uh, I've been going ever since and it is just the best. Uh, this one was really good. It was all about dentistry. And one thing I, I realized is that now, even the speaker was my era. He graduated vet school around the same time I did. He was general practitioner for years and he went back to do his residency in dentistry. And But he was saying, even the stuff that, you know, when we got out of school, like for example, when we would pull a tooth, okay, we would pull a tooth and, and leave it and it would granulate in. And he even said it, it was fine. But now for speed, they, instead of waiting on that's what we call secondary intention healing, where it's healing just by itself, let's do primary intention healing, which is where we actually sew a flap. And so now we're doing flaps and we never really took dental x-rays. You didn't have that little thing that goes in the mouth that, that your dentist uses. And, and that, by the way, People always say, well, why do you have to anesthetize the dogs? Well, first of all, you cannot do a thorough cleaning and get under those gums and really do some curatage and cleaning and, you know, in an awake animal. Even a, the best dog in the world, let alone a cat. You, know, you can't open a cat's mouth to give a pill. You're going to start scraping away. I mean, come on, really? And then, and also though, you, when, you, when they put that thing in our mouth, they put a big you know, plastic thing that holds that little screen, which is that black, that is the actual film right? And, um, and it's all digital, it's digitized. 
well, that little thing that, you know, it's maybe, you know, I don't know, two inches by one inch, <laughs> that thing costs about $7,000. Can you imagine asking a dog, okay, dog, I'm going to put this in your mouth. Don't bite, don't bite down on it because it's $7,000. No way. So they have to be anesthetized. And, uh, and anyway, it was an amazing conference and I learned a lot. And I you know, learned some things that I also, instrumentation, it's gotten so much better. And they, so they were giving us great, great suggestions of instruments. So I, have, I made a list that I, I've already bought some of them. So, you know, it's great. These conferences are great. And this is really a hands-on. One thing I'm not going to be doing in my career that some GPs are doing, it was what fascinated me is how much of this stuff the younger general practitioners knew, the ones that graduated in the last five years. Because when I graduated almost 40 years ago, we didn't do dental like this. We cleaned them, we polished them, we pulled teeth that were bad, but root canals, now they're doing root canals like regularly. So that's a pretty steep learning curve. I just don't, I don't have the time. So we refer them to a vet dentist. But interestingly, most people, it's very expensive. And we do know that dogs really, and cats especially, because some cats have a problem where they get generalized stomatitis. They almost get an allergic sensitivity to their own teeth. And what's the treatment of choice? You got to pull the teeth, all of them. And they do just fine. So when you give an owner an option, spend, you know, maybe uh, five, six hundred bucks on, a, on an extraction or $4,000 root canal, uh, take the extraction. <laughs> so, but if you can do it, it's a good way to go. It really is. The first day was kind of, um, well, we all it was snowed all day, not a, I mean, no sunshine. It was, you have to wear your different goggles. It was um, not quite a whiteout, but at the top of some of the lifts, you could not see three feet in front of you. It was kind of bad. But the second two days, oh my God, absolutely gorgeous. So it was a lot of fun. So ask away. Let me see any questions, any questions. I want your questions. In the meantime, as you know, I do some schmoozing and reading and perusing some of the publications, online publications, and there's some good stuff that I'm, I wanted to share with you. So first of all, this was a very scary thing for veterinarians out there. Check this out. Fortified men in black jumpsuits and masks entered a vet clinic in St. Louis, and they held employees at gunpoint and stole ketamine, midazolam, euthanasia drugs, and cash. That's scary. You know, honestly, I get calls. People want to know. Um, you've heard of Special K. That's ketamine. That is a, it's a cat. We use it for cats, and it zonks them out. It's a dissociative anesthetic. What it basically does, it, it's almost as if it's cutting your head off right here in the sense that you have complete sense of what's going on, but you can't do anything about it. And it's become one of these crazy drugs that people use. It's horrendous. Anyway, you got to be really, really careful because, I mean, if you're, can you imagine being a client sitting in my office, right, waiting to be seen, and you have your dog, your cat, whatever, and all of a sudden, two guys come in with, with guns? I mean, that's frightening. So it is, unfortunately, the world we're in now is, uh, is as I said, it's pretty frightening. All right. So speaking of cats and the vet, does your cat freak out at the vet? There are two stories here that, that kind of mesh together. So I thought I'd share them with you. Number one, UC Davis, my alma mater did a study that indicated that cats and their owners were much less stressed, okay, duh, when the exams were done at home. And um, owners much preferred the video exams when possible. So here we are battling the veterinary industry, those of us that like telemedicine, that do telemedicine, and they are putting so many restrictions on what we can do. Do you realize that if you call a doctor 
on like a doctor on demand, all right, that you, that doctor can do more for you than you can do for your pet if you called one of the telemedicine platforms, even AirVet. Now, if I took a call from one of my clients, I have a lot more leeway. But when you just do a call and you're speaking to a vet on video, live video, that vet can get a good history, can see the pet, can ask you to do things. They can't even so much as recommend an over-the-counter drug. It is absolutely insane. And so it's getting to be a problem because clients want it. It's so hard to get into a vet. So what happens, even if you wanted to get into your vet, but you couldn't, then you have to wait. Meanwhile, your pet is suffering. And when you can get help from a telemedicine platform and speaking to a veterinarian, the industry says, no, can't, 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 can't prescribe anything. Not even an antibiotic for an infection that you know is an infection. You can see that's not coming out of the nose. I mean, I understand about you can't do a controlled substance. You can't use an archive. I get it. I mean, if you're looking at an eye problem and you're not sure whether the cornea is affected and has a scratch, and therefore we know that steroids would be contraindicated if there is a corneal irritation, erosion, scratch. So I get it. We're not going to prescribe anything with steroid, but a, a straight antibacterial ointment? I mean, really? So it is very frustrating and it's becoming a big battle, a really big battle. And though opponents of this telemedicine, you know what they are? They're the veterinarians that don't have time to see you, but they don't want somebody else seeing you. Or they, you know, they're really, so they're gonna lose a business anyway because they can't see you anyway. And at least take care of the pet meantime. And if it's a strange veterinarian from a different city or state, right? You're not going to lose your business to that vet. For this case, you're going to, they'll do something to resolve, relieve some of the issues. And then you, when you can, you're going to see your vet. It, it is unbelievable. So anyway, that's what we're battling. It's, it's a shame, but I think that things will get better in time. But right now, sorry, <laughs> it's not like we're, we're, you know, we're, we're handcuffed or our hands are tied with what we can do to help you uh, in cases like that. But cats prefer it. And the second story then was more than 80% of dogs in the United States, had a visit with their veterinarian or a veterinarian at least once in 2021. Get this, only 40% of cats. So first of all, why? One reason is cats, they, they mask pain a lot better. They don't actually have as many because they interact less with their people than most dogs do. And again, I have five cats, four of them read the dog book by mistake. They interact a lot with us. So I would know, and I have known when something's not right. So besides that, we know, and you know, cat moms and dads know that they don't like going to the vet. They hate the car. They scratch. They get it. It's like even with if a fear-free hospital, you know, they're, it's much better. But you still, you're still going to have a battle on your hands sometimes. So the bottom line is, even though your cat doesn't want to go, sometimes just go for an annual exam where hopefully they don't even need shots just to be looked at, touched, petted. You know, I mean, I, I got to tell you, I don't know what it is. It's something that those are. Some of us have. I wish more had it, but I hear all the time. Well, I'll be sitting and having a cat like on my arms and I'm petting it. And the owner would say, Oh my God, I can't believe it. I can't even hold my cat that long. Some of the cat behaviors say, Get off your high horse, wherever. It's not that. It's that if they're in a strange environment, they don't know where the hiding places are. So they're just kind of scared and content, just you know, being held. And they'll sit there as long as you don't mess with them too much. I know. I tend to think that my patients like coming in and see me because they let me do almost anything to them. So anyway, there you have it. So I'm going to scroll through here. I'm seeing a lot of waves. I don't see questions, guys. You usually ask me a lot more questions. And so in the meantime, it's where uh, 
<laughs> yes, yeah, they do. They do. In fact, sometimes you get out of the box, they've already they've already relieved themselves because they know. Ah, here we go. Dog had surgery yesterday and had a mass removed from his elbow. He's 13 years old. Do we know what kind of mass it is? If it's a mass, it could depend on where it is. We just did an elbow surgery too, and the mass turned out to be benign. Then another one we did that was a lipoma. Another one we did actually came out to be a cancer, but it was a it was a soft tissue sarcoma. But it was only a grade one, which is a very low grade. So on those, we just kind of watch it. There's really nothing you can do. I mean, I mean, you can do radiation if you want. At this point, if it was a grade one, I was, you know, I was pretty sure we got it all. We're just going to watch it. And if it obviously we straight see something coming back, but it doesn't have a high metastatic potential. Whereas we also did recently did surgery on the anal gland adenocarcinoma on Dodger, and that came back as an aggressive cancer. So we have to be more aggressive post-operatively than we would if it was just a grade one, you know, mild kind of cancer. Anyway, don't go away. We'll be back after these short words from our sponsors here at Pet Life Radio. And we'll be back. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There is no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Odyssey, TuneIn, Stitcher, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs> So we're back live here on Pet Life Radio. I'm going to increase the volume here so you can hear me and I can hear you. And um, so we were just talking about in the break, leukemia in cats. It was a question asked here on Instagram Live. And uh, so, you know, people often say when they, we do a blood test and they come back fine. And then weeks later, a month, two, whatever month later, they come back and have a mass or we suspect a mass. And we say, well, we, we did the blood test. The blood test was fine. Most cancers aren't going to show up in blood unless it's a blood-borne cancer. But we do see, if, if, for example, if it's affecting an organ like the kidneys or the liver, we may see enzyme elevation of those enzymes typically that are indicative of a liver disease or kidney disease or pancreatitis or whatever. But unless it's a, like a blood-borne cancer, we may not see it. Now, leukemia is a blood-borne cancer, and that is depending on the cell type it's usually a, a white cell, white blood cell. Uh, it could be a leukocyte, it could be a neutrophil, it could be you know, eosinophil. So you have different types of leukemias. And um, the disease is the bone marrow starts putting out one or two types of white cells to the detriment of the other cells, including, including the red blood cells. So what happens is you can have severe anemia, you get, might get a, a, you know, a leukocyte count, a white cell count of like off the charts high, and it could be a lymphocytes, it could be neutrophils, right? It, we, it all depends on the cell type itself. That's what we'll call lymphocytic leukemia or neutrophilic leukemia. So the disease sometimes has to be diagnosed by taking, well, first of all, 
the screening test is the blood test. Then you do a bone marrow and you actually can see what is going on in the bone marrow, which cells are just going crazy. And like any cancer, the precursor cells of that cell type don't know how to shut off. So they keep multiplying and multiplying and multiplying and multiplying. They start invading the entire bone marrow, pushing out all these cells into the bloodstream, leaving the other cells almost not zero. And I mean, you can do with like lymphocytic leukemia, you can have lymphocyte count, you know, you know, 200,000. I mean, it's ridiculous off the charts high. And the leukemia that people get is very similar. So you'll hear uh, what cell type is part of this leukemia process. So anyway, it's somewhat treatable, not curable. Some of them are worse than others. Uh, they respond to sometimes to medication and it's a tough disease. And, um, but we do see it and cats get, seem to get a little bit more than dogs. So, oh, do I see a lot of dogs diagnosed with diabetes? So of the two diabetes we often see, there's diabetes mellitus, that's the sugar diabetes, and diabetes insipidus, which is the water drinking diabetes. And obviously, a DI is, is less common than diabetes. And interestingly, in dogs that get diabetes mellitus, regardless of age of onset, it is typically going to be the equivalent of the insulin-dependent diabetes, which is what in people, it would be juvenile onset diabetes. Whereas in dogs, regardless of when they get it, it's usually going to be the insulin-dependent. So then the, in cats, however, it's the opposite. Cats will often get the non-insulin dependent, and that's usually associated as in people, adult onset with obesity. So just know when you have those overweight cats, they're always at a risk for diabetes. The difference in treatment, of course, is that in dogs that get diabetes typically are insulin dependent. They are going to need insulin. Um, most insulins in dogs are given twice a day. Uh, there are a number of um, options from the human type to ones that are typically just for pets. And it really depends on the animal. I mean, I, I, I've had some that I would start with Humulin, which is a human insulin, may not do well, we'll go to Vetsulin, we go to PZI, and it all depends. Cats do pretty well with PZI. You have to work with the veterinarian. Now with cats, however, it is possible through diet and oral medications to start managing them. And a lot of times with cats, we will start with insulin, get them more regulated, and then we can back off the insulin and just go on to diet and some oral medication. But, you know, we do see it, fortunately, not often. Now, what's really cool now is there are some devices because, you know, it's hard for people to buy those little in, those glucose kits and either nip the ear or cut a toenail and collect the blood and get a reading. So now you have something called the Libra, which is a little disc that you can... Uh, put onto a dog, it's got a little uh, stylet that goes into the skin and it's continually reading. And then you have a reader, like it looks like a little, uh, little, little handheld device that you can wave over, touch the Libra disc and you can get a reading. That's the good news. The bad news is you gotta change it every two weeks. So, you know, it, it gets to be tough. You have to shave and, but it is a more convenient way to stay in better touch with your dogs or your cats glucose levels in the blood, because that's how we obviously, the, the determination of how much insulin we give is going to be based on how well they're doing. And that's why at the beginning, it's much more challenging when it comes to titrating the amount of insulin and knowing how we're doing the right thing. So when you have a diagnosis, if your dog or your pet is diagnosed with diabetes, it is a little more challenging at first. Then when it comes to diabetes insipidus, now it's a water diabetes. It has a lot to do with the brain and the thirst center. 
and not reading, okay, that the, the, um, uh, it's a whole pathway to tell the dog when to drink and when not to drink. And sometimes the kidneys are affected. They can't read the chemical in the brain to tell them to urinate or to not urinate. And so basically everything that comes in goes out. Is it truly kidney disease? We used to do something called the water deprivation study to see if the kidneys, when deprived of water, can concentrate urine. And those that have diabetes insipidus will not. So that means when they can, even with, with restricted water, they still have clear urine that is what we call a, a very dilute isostenuric urine or less than that, then those animals need to be on medication. Now, when water deprived, the kidneys are working just fine. Then you have to look at other reasons why this dog is drinking so much water. One is called, especially young dogs, psychodynamic polydipsia. They just like to drink. So they're going to drink. But treatments have gotten better. Diagnosing has gotten better to rule out diabetes insipidus. And um, actually, you can take a medication that you can use for people. It's used for the nose. But for dogs, we actually put it as an eye drop every day. And that can help control the uh, diabetes and sort of provide that enzyme, that transmitter that's going to help neutralize, regulate the thirst center in the brain and put things back on normal. So uh, we don't see that often diabetes insipidus, at least I don't, but I have a number of cases over the years. And uh, anyway, it is now much more easily treated than it used to be way back. Okay. So I saw a dog from Fluffs and Scruffs Rescue, great rescue, by the way. It was a blind Frenchie and a congenital defect in the eyes. And are these dogs prone to get bloody stools? Uh, would would uh, expose in the panic or doesn't work? So thing is, when you have a dog like that, and it already has a congenital defect, could there be other congenital defects? Absolutely. So that's one thing to keep in mind. However, also, this poor dog, it's a puppy. It can't see. It's stressed. And you're, I know it's very thin, so everyone's trying to get it to eat. So all these things, if you, if you take away the blindness for a second, take away the, the likelihood of some sort of congenital problem, and you just have a pup, I would check for parasites. And they did already, but they didn't treat for everything. They only use Flagyl, not Panicure. So I would treat it as a colitis right now with you know fiber in the diet, trying to eliminate a lot of the, the crap the dog may be eating. It's a puppy, so it's probably putting everything into its mouth. So there are some other things that I would do first before panicking. But if all else fails, then yes, they call it oscopy and getting samples. It might be inflammatory bowel disease. It's unlikely a cancer in a young dog like this. But IBD is very possible and it might respond to steroids. So there are some things that we can do first. But I would, you know, as I said, I'm a, I'm a, a KISS rule guy. Keep it simple, stupid. I'm just going to treat basically colitis. I think I was, we were talking about because the Flavil didn't work and it may not. I would try azulfidine or tylosin, also known to be very effective in treating colitis and go from there. If that doesn't work, try steroids. The problem with the steroids is that if you think you're going to want to ultimately do colonoscopy, right, and get samples, having put the dog on steroids first might interfere with those test results. So that's when you got to you look at your costs, you look at, you know, practical treatment versus academic treatment. Academic treatment certainly would be a colonoscopy, but I wouldn't rush into it. Uh, but again, I'm more conservative and sometimes too conservative, but I am what I am. Okay. So it looks like I have a lot of other good things I want to talk about, but um, this is one good, leave on a, on a good note, right? Bobby, a dog in Portugal born 
1992. That makes him, he just set a new Guinness record as the world's oldest dog. He is more than 30 years old. He still gets around, lives with his dad and uh, four cats in a home. He still, you know, mingles with the cats and plays. And um, he's obviously, he's the, the owner said his sight's getting a little weak, but he still gets up and eats. 30 years old. That's unbelievable. Here, when I was so thrilled, when my Grover went to 16 and a half, even with mast cell disease, and Labrador's not usually to 16, here's a dog that's 30 years old. Love it. So I uh, wish him the best. Uh, he's born in 1992. This year, that means if he makes it, he's going to be 31. That is absolutely insane. And one last thing, because I'm trying to help you guys plan, and you need to plan on this one. If, even in the summertime, you are planning to travel with your pets, especially out of the country, you need to start planning now. Some countries, three to six months in advance, there's a lot of things that some countries require that you have to do. Uh, you have to have at least two rabies shots. They have to be at least a certain amount of time apart. Some countries that require rabies titers, that process is also very long. Microchips, they have to be microchipped before the rabies shots. I mean, there is a lot to think about. Parasite treatments. So you need to go online to the APHIS, APHIS website. That's part of the USDA, United States Department of Agriculture. Work with your veterinarian. Make sure that you know all the details and also certain countries, just like certain states require different things. So you need to get a health certificate from that country or at least a list of their requirements so you know you're doing the right thing. Not easy and it does take a long time. So can't believe dog is 30. How, what, I don't know anything about it. This is the dogs in Portugal. They didn't give us any of that information, but it, it apparently was well-documented, 30 years old. I don't know what he's being fed. I bet you he probably hasn't had alcohol. He probably doesn't smoke. So maybe that's part of it because that's what they say for us. So I don't know. And then I like the ones better than say, no, we should have a glass of wine today. Yeah, I like that one. Anyway, so uh, if you have any questions, uh, I can stay on a little longer here on Instagram. I got to let Pet Life Radio go. And um, next week, you may have noticed, you would notice, I'm the same. But those of you on Instagram, that little echo. So my very, very expensive Yeti mic uh, looks like it died. So uh, that's the clicking we heard um, two weeks ago when I tried. So I'm going to order a new mic and uh, we'll be here next week. And hopefully, Mark, we will have uh, that problem fixed with my new mic. So anyway, thanks for joining me here on Pet Life Radio. You guys don't go away. We'll be back and I'll see you here next week. Yes. Yeah, I don't go away. I don't, even in two weeks, I'll be here. I'm going to go to Western Vet Conference on the 19th, but I'm not going to leave till after my show probably. So we should be able to hit both. All right. Have a good week, everybody. And uh, any questions during the week, you can always get a hold of me here at Pet Life Radio, Dr. Jeff at PetLifeRadio.com. You can also reach me, Dr. Jeff at DrJeff.com, Jeff at AirVet.com so many ways you can reach me or here on instagram of course and thank you all have your friends follow i finally got you know got verified so now if you go to me i got a little check next to my name and i i'm also going to be posting some new stuff on another surgery i did this week that was really really cool so uh hope you enjoy that as well all right see you next week bye-bye let's talk pets every week on demand only on petliferadio.com